This is the Amazon Planet Podcast, episode 17. I am your host, Joel Amazon. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We're calling this episode Lessons from Kenya, and it's my conversation with David Sanders. David Sanders is from the 410 Bridge, and I had the chance to travel with David to Kenya at the beginning of 2020, and that's the content for this episode. We're going to have a, you're going to hear a little bit the um, us having a conversation and we're going to go through the categories that we normally go through on the podcast, but just focusing in on what we learned from the trip. What are some lessons we can glean from it? And specifically thinking about how we can learn how to teach better, which is the purpose of the Amazon Planet podcast. And my own goal is to lead people to love others through teaching. So we'll get into that in a second. First, just want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by you, the listener. People out there have been buying those Be The Good shirts and the purchase of those shirts that you can find through the Amazon Planet store with links. Links to the store can be found at AmazonPlanet.com, both in the header and the footer of the website. But anyway, the purchase of those shirts, the proceeds from those purchases have supported the production costs of the Amazon Planet podcast. I'm very thankful for that. If you want to support the podcast, go get yourself a shirt. Um... There's shirts, there's hoodies, there's even coffee cups. And so those are out there. Thank you for the, thank you in advance if you want to go check them out. But also, too, just for those of you that have purchased those things, thank you very much. You have, again, sponsored this episode, so thank you. Now let's get into it. So just to set the stage a little bit, my relationship with the 410 Bridge and specifically with David started back, I mean, basically traces into my work at my church where we learned about 410 Bridge and we went on a trip sponsored by 410 Bridge to Haiti. And the reason why I went on that trip in the first place was I heard that I could use my gifts as a teacher to serve others. And it's it was kind of weird. So thinking about my original idea about what a service trip or a mission trip would be, you know, I thought I'd you know, have to go do some manual labor somewhere, right? Like paint a, paint something or dig a hole or just didn't know. But then when I heard the message from the 410 bridge that no, how you are gifted is how we want, is what we want you to use with these communities, right? Just like we want these communities to use their gifts to help themselves. And I was like, wow, that was, I mean, so I wanted to learn more about this organization. When I did, there's some really cool things that were happening. This organization, the 410 Bridge, when they work with communities, eventually the plan is, or the plan, what does happen is that community say, you know what? We're good. We had some goals. We've met those goals. We, we're we graduating. We want you to move on. We want the 410 Bridge to move on. Go help other communities. Actually, we'll help you help those communities. And that was awesome. I was like, I, I want to get, a, I want to be a part of that. I want to learn more about it. And so I did, I think, four four trips, four service trips through my church. And then I just was kind of annoying. Like I kind of just keep making contact with my uh, local rep from 410 Bridge and say, you know what? I want to do more. If there's a way that I can do more, if there's a way I can provide some service, I want to, one, I want to learn more about what you're doing, but I think I might have something I can offer as well. And eventually that led to a conversation um, with David after I received tenure and was thinking about putting together a sabbatical package. And, you know, sometimes with a professor, a sabbatical means, oh, you're going to take a break. You're going to and work on a book or go do some uh, heavy research project somewhere. And I mean, I just felt called to like 
hey, let's 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 work with the 410 bridge. And I put that offer out there to David and David was all in for it. Robin Horton was a big uh, person that uh, helped out with that arrangement as well and encouraged me to put in the application uh, about the sabbatical. And guess what? The we put it together and, and, and thinking about how this work with the 410 Bridge would help me become a better professor, a better teacher of teachers, a better researcher, um, better thinking about how to work with communities and schools from learning from this organization. And the university agreed. And so I was able to get the sabbatical and work for a semester in the spring of 2019 with the 410 Bridge. And the plan was to focus it more in on Haiti and through some... Events that happened in Haiti, some political things that were going on, we had to delay a trip there. So that meant I went to Guatemala, spent a week in Guatemala learning all about schools and teachers and interacting with a bunch of awesome teachers and community members in Guatemala. And then we did something similar when I was able to finally to go to Haiti in July of 2019. And then, you know, there was talk of, hey, Joel, we should have you go to Kenya too. And I was like, hey, we got to kind of wait on this, uh, you know. It's going to be a lot of international trips in a short amount of time and still kept going. And we had the conversation and it ended up being, hey, beginning of 2020, how about we go to Kenya and we do a similar sort of trip that we did in Guatemala and Haiti in order to just let's, let's learn as much as we can and think about how to best help uh, these communities and these schools. And so it was exciting. It was unexpected and but it was so informative. Uh, learned a lot. And so got this uh, conversation with David coming up. You're going to hear about all our learnings. We're going to go through all the different categories. Excited to share it with you. A quick note, though, there were some connection issues at times. So you're going to hear maybe like, oh, there's some kind of uh, uh, break in, in the audio. Just bear with it. I listened to it. I tried to edit it as well as possible. You're going to hear some just a little bit of a jostling here and there, but overall, I think the message is clear, but let's not delay anymore. Here's my conversation with David Sanders of the 410 Bridge. David, welcome to the uh, Amazon Planet podcast. It's uh, We've had lots of conversations over uh, over electronic means, either through phone or Skype or whatever. So it's good to have you uh, on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Joel. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. I've, I've listened to the podcast, and so it's been fun to follow your journey and excited to be on with you. Well, I guess the thing is, it, it kind of started, uh, uh, the journey for the podcast kind of started with our journey uh, together. So, I, well, first, why don't we do this? Why don't we give a, you get a little introduction for yourself? Sure. So, uh, David Sanders, um, I work with an organization called 410 Bridge. I've been here almost three years. Um, and for those of you who don't know, which I assume is most, 410 Bridge is a community development organization. Uh, we do work in East Africa, Haiti, and Guatemala. Um, and our philosophy is we go deep in a place with a community. So, we'll partner with them over the course of seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years is generally the way that it, it normally runs. And over the course of that time, we'll do leadership development. Uh, we'll work on getting them safe water, economic development, education. It's a big piece of it, yeah. uh, which I'm excited to talk more about. Um, and then also discipleship is a big part of what we do. Um, so we have a kind of a comprehensive approach to how we engage with communities and really work through their leadership 
to help them kind of raise the bar in a lot of different categories over the course of our partnership. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that, you know, my role specifically at 410 is uh, working on kind of the strategy of how do we do what we do? Um, what is the, the plan over the course of that eight to 10 years? Um, and so one of the things that I love to do is to be able to uh, be able to interact with experts such as you, Joel, um, and we've talked about this some. And so just being able to learn from your expertise in education and then being able to apply that to our work. Yeah, and it, it would, one thing I really appreciate appreciate about you, David, is like your willingness to really drill down into the issues, whether it's um, thinking about education or thinking about some of the community development work you're doing with communities and just really asking good questions to, to get at, you know, what's the source here? How can we really... Um, think about how to apply a, a solution that's really going to move the needle, but not in a way that's, uh, in a way that's helping, helping the communities help themselves. And that's, just, that's what I really love about what 410 bridge does. And, and I guess too, for just the listeners out there, we did, um, uh, episode six, we talked a little bit about 410 bridge when Chris and I were talking about the book, uh, when helping hurts. Uh, and so that was when we were on our uh, trip to Camp Marie, which is kind of what led to our initial uh, initial connection is my my uh, my relationship with that yeah. community in Haiti, and so yeah, I guess that yeah. let's go into it. So like um, that, so it started with uh, going to Haiti with my uh, uh, my church and doing some work with Camp Marie, and just I think I, I think more than anything, being annoying to from the <laughs> <laughs> from my side and fortune really like hey i know a little something about education uh, you know what whatever you need i can i can be uh of a resource and i know that there was some uh transitions going on in fortune bridge and then when uh you came along david i think was a time when uh i think i was about to get tenure or something like that and thought you know what the sabbatical coming up there could be something that happens uh. between us and so I threw the threw the ball in your court and said, "Hey, if uh, if I'm if I we do this little sabbatical proposal where I come and and lend my expertise and work with y'all, would you be open to that?" And with open arms, man, you were you were there. Yeah, so, and and I think it it's was funny, like, man. We uh, we said multiple times on the trip to Kenya, it's the squeaky wheel to get the oil, right? <laughs> That's right. And so that you you almost did that a little bit just to get into Fort Bridge, but. Yeah, man, for you to be able to give up your sabbatical to help us, the benefit that that was for us was was phenomenal. Um, and not only sabbatical, just to give people context, you know, if you remember, we we talked probably for a good eight months prior to yeah, yeah. Of doing research, starting to look at best practices, um, figuring out, you know, really, as we look at our strategy in Haiti, that's, that was the focus of the sabbatical. Uh-huh. But as... I think we've learned over time so much of what we learned going through that process for Haiti has application in Guatemala and East Africa. And, you know, you can speak to this better than I can, but even some um, here in the States, right. I, oh, I always yeah, yeah. making those connections. And so the amount of time that went into it between the prep and then the sabbatical, and now it's kind of carried forward to our work in Kenya. Um, man, it's just been <laughs> a tremendous blessing for 410 to have your expertise. 
Well, yeah, it's, it's it's just been kind of. I mean, and, and I I completely understood from the initial part. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that you know, 410 Bridge organizes uh, trips, and there's constant trips going on to all these different countries, uh, service trips where you know churches or other organizations are organizing these trips to go and serve in these communities. And you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that get fired up and say, "Hey, I wanna I wanna do more," and like, yeah, and then you never hear from them again. So yeah, maybe it is a. Uh, hmm to keep squeaking and then eventually be like, yeah. Hey, this, this, uh, this guy's not going away. So, um, I was just very thankful for the opportunity. Thankful for, uh, you all to, uh, welcome me with open arms and, uh, and for the opportunities that, uh, that we had to do some trips. So, yeah. and, and that's the kind of the unique part of the, about this podcast. We are going to use, um, uh, our Kenya trip, which, which happened in the beginning of 2020, as kind of our source material. So usually at the, in the podcast we've used, uh, you know, uh, different books or even p- other podcasts as sources of material to to kind of base our conversation on. So now we're using a shared experience of this trip uh, as kind of our uh, source material where we're going to go through all the categories. So I, I guess um, David, how did this? How did this? If you can give a little bit of background, how did this trip, the idea for this trip, come up? Because all of a sudden it's like, hey, you still want to go to Kenya? And and I don't know what, what were yeah. the conversations that led into that. Yeah, so I think on our end, um, we, at least for for me and and our team here in the U.S. and and Haiti as well, we just really appreciated the process that we went through Mm -hmm. uh, to really just go in depth and define our strategy to how to help kids have a quality education in Haiti. And Haiti is such a complex environment that it's it's not a cookie-cutter approach, um, but the process was, was very beneficial for us. And so we wanted to take that and apply it to Kenya as well. Um, I think one, there's just a lot of learning that can happen that I think we'll get into a little bit later of, um, whenever you visit eight, 10 schools, whatever the number is in the course of a week, you learn a ton about what are the dynamics that are at play. And so we wanted to replicate that, that we'd already done in Haiti and we actually did in Guatemala as well. Um, and then just to be able to apply your expertise to that process, um, I think is, is really beneficial. I think for us, you know, we're at the end of the day, we're a community development organization. Um, and what we try to do whenever possible is, um, partner with individuals or with other organizations who have a specific expertise because they'll elevate the level, which we're able to execute on something, you know, for us. We're not engineers. We'll never be great at you know, doing a water project. Uh-huh. But there are organizations who are designed to do that. And so we want to bring them in and, and let them do what they do really well. Same thing goes for you. I'll never be <laughs> a PhD level education person. <laughs> but because you're invested in our organization, to be able to leverage your skill set um, is just of tremendous value. So our Kenya team specifically was really excited to have you come over there. Um, we spend, uh, we have a sponsorship program that's pretty robust in Kenya, uh, where, and through the sponsorship program, we do a lot of quality improvement program, mm-hmm. but it's really hard for us to understand the impact that it's having, uh, because it can almost be just a kitchen sink approach where it, we want to do textbooks. We want to do teacher's training. We want to do desks. We want to do infrastructure. We want to do feeding programs. Right? There's, so many good things to go and do, but until you really do a trip like this, where it's a deep dive into the learning of what, what really moves the needle in the, in a school specifically, 
you know, we're operating a little bit blind. And so we were eager to do the trip and just really come out of it and, and see how we could better educate kids in, in Kenya. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for the, for the background and, and just, you know, kind of put it in, in context, like just have, or put it in perspective, just, you know, didn't really know too much uh, about Kenya or the education system. And so being able to like, just get this trip where it's, Hey, we're going to dive in and we're going to visit as many communities and schools as we can in, in this week and try to learn as much as possible and not having the focus in on action, but thinking about how to inform future action and, and, and just, and having that, you know, our crew was, uh, us, uh, you and I, and then Claire and Mambo, the program director, and then the education director for uh, Kenya, just, you know, and just being able to talk on all those trips and being able to debrief and, and think about all that we've learned. And, and I'm, I'm excited for, for what's going to happen. So, all right. So we got, we got the, we got the, the background. Let's, let's, let's dive into it. So again, we had this trip. It was about a, what, seven days long. We, but within country you're traveling around to i think it was like what five days really in schools right mm-hmm. um and yep. i think visited nine different schools and i think they said we did a thousand kilometers in yeah and uh and, a lot of that was through the the bush in kenya yeah, yeah. almost got stuck a couple times that's right yeah when uh yeah, covered when, uh, some ground uh, Google Maps is uh, your community coordinator. That's a uh, two miles away. That says, "Hey, I see you. Just keep going straight." And you're like, <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. So, all right. So, let's talk about um, some things that uh, we learned here in in, on, in this trip. So, we're going to start with a high five. So, you you got one that you want to kick off with? With uh, what's one thing you learned from the trip? Yeah. So, as I was kind of thinking back on it. Um, I think just as it pertains to teachers, there's, there's really two things that come to mind. Uh, one is that there are great teachers in every single corner of the world. Um, so, I mean, we went into rural, rural, the bush, Africa, right? And, so rural. <laughs> so rural. Right. Right. And, and we found great teachers who were there who were passionate about it, who cared about the kids who had enough technique to teach a lesson really well. Um, and so that was just a great encouragement to me of, and, you know, I think we had a similar experience in Haiti and in Guatemala. And so it's, it's true in multiple corners. Right. Um, but I thought that was just really, really cool. Um, and then the other thing that why that means so much is as I was, again, just kind of thinking back, teachers are the great equalizer, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even as I reflected on my own life, whether it was a teacher or a mentor, I, I kind of bucket those together. One great teacher, one great mentor can have such an impact on an individual's trajectory. Yeah. You know, if you look at it through the academic setting, um, one great math teacher who really helps math come alive for a student and helps them grasp it for the first time, that can help them discover something about themselves that can set them on a path that they didn't know they had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or the same thing for a mentor, right? Whether it's a mentor in business or a mentor to some of the complexities of, of something and shows you what, what is possible, man, that can, that can be a game changer uh, for the way that an individual lives the next you know, five, 10 years of their life. Um, so when you couple those two things, man, there's great teachers in Kenya 
And just when you think about the, the way that they're able to impact lives, it's powerful. So are you saying those are two, are, are those two of your learnings, right? In all together? Can it be a 1A and 1B? One a, we one learned a, so much. No, that's awesome. It's hard to narrow it down. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not, I was, that's great. I love that. Because <laughs> actually I had as one of mine as we're great teachers are everywhere. And like, I, it, I was just thinking the first classroom or the second classroom we went to is Miss Faith in Areri, um, and she was doing a, um, or the classroom that I went to was, and she was doing, um, uh, place value, doing place value. And she had, you know, concrete materials and she's doing this and, and like, there's a lot of call and response, but then she had kids using uh, these concrete materials to come do place value and then using uh, representations on the board and then giving space for kids to engage in an activity and her being able to go around and monitor and having the high expectations that, you know, they had to create this table within their chart. We were in there for the second day in school and you could tell like, you know, maybe the students weren't, you know, ready to create, you know, maybe not, and I'm saying in quotations, ready to create a table, but guess what? The person next to him was, and then she knew, yeah. Hey, that the support's already in the room that they can look over and, Oh, I can figure out how to do this. And, you know, knowing that, you know, she, she let them have this little moment of struggle and continue on. And she knew had the expectation, Hey, you're going to get it done. And that, that idea that, that teachers make an influence teachers matter, right? That, that teachers have in this impact, like when we talk about moving the needle over and over again, I think what I've learned on these trips, all of them, is just the impact of the teacher, right? That the that teachers that strong social lever that can make some huge impacts uh, for not only for the school, for the students, but for the community in general. Just how invested they are. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, and you think too, if and, and this is something that. Um, you know, just to tie in with that, I was talking with one of our community coordinators in uh, Dubai. Um, who? Uh, it's not Jack. Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy was talking about there was a teacher in that community that was there for uh, 24 years and yeah. had recently was transitioning, I think, to be closer to family. Um, but there for 24 years. And you imagine if there's one grade in, you know, that she's in charge of for 24 years and everyone's going through that grade, think about how much influence that one teacher had on that community. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. It's just amazing. Yeah. So, and it's also, man, that, so one of the other things I was thinking about was in 2018, one of the things that we learned was the government changed the policy of, um, you can't, headmaster can't teach in the same school for more than five years and the mm-hmm. deputy can't move into being the head teacher right. at the same school. And they're also moving teachers around across the country uh, because they ultimately, I think in, as we dug into it, we learned that ultimately they want to reduce tribalism in Kenya, uh-huh. which is, it makes sense. Right. And it's something that, you know, is a, probably a 20, 30 year vision of creating a Kenya that's more unified and it's supposed to divide it. But the impact of that is that you're removing teachers from the communities where they've been for so long. Yeah. And just like this woman in Dubai who've been there for 24 years and hers, her case is a little bit different, but it's, it's still true of man, teachers in their local context are more passionate about the kids, um, know them better, know the realities of their lives. Oh Yeah are much more equipped to teach them in a, in a great way. And so it, 
you know, it, it just uh, shined a light on the disconnect, right? Both are, both motives I think are, are needed, right? You, you have to move towards a unified Kenya, right. but you're doing it at the short term expense of the kids. Right. And so it's this, it's this tough dynamic that I think exists probably in a lot of government to local relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have this high level long-term vision, but the, the short-term impact is, you know, detrimental. Yeah. And you, you'll see that, in, you know, in one, in one case, like, uh, in my, well, just in my situation, you know, sometimes when we have, uh, PhD students like from Wisconsin, right? And I know you're a, you're a, a bulldog from Georgia. So, um, but we have the cases where we graduate from our institutions and like graduating from Wisconsin and Wisconsin's not necessarily, not probably more than likely not going to hire me because they want new blood to come in. Right. Versus, you know, maybe there is something about having someone that's been all the way through all these programs to come in and lend their expertise that way. And so it is like the, these, this balance of how do we maintain uh, maintain teachers that know the context, know their students, know the community, and then also getting in new ideas and new blood. Because I can again, like you said, it's it's yeah. complex. You can see both sides, but you wonder about yeah the impact on the kids and like knowing like that that teacher that's been there for a while is not going to be there uh, yeah. when I go through. I um, I'm going to do one now. So one thing uh, that I've noticed in this is like. Uh, and again, we have a very unique situation here where I get to talk to a bunch of teachers and you get to experience a bunch of different classrooms. And so you get to kind of see a, this large picture. And so, you know, you hear about some, some, you know, some strengths, some challenges, and, but then some, like, what are we, what are some things that schools are doing really well? And the one thing I said is something, the answer is next door. And I remember seeing research once about, that the solution to a school's problem usually exists within the school. I mean, to, that's the really plain language version of it. But like if there is some sort of issue, like we're trying to figure out, you know, standards-based grading, someone in the school is probably doing standards-based grading or some practice that we need, that we're struggling with. Somebody's doing it well within the school. And a lot of times you'd see that where, you know, it's a, a, you know we learned in Kenya, they're going through this huge curriculum change coming up and it's like you know where are we going to figure out uh, how to train these teachers in how to do this uh, you know new style of teaching because you got to open up your classroom in order to be able to um, see how you know students are performing and the thing is like someone in your school is already doing it like we don't need to bring in some outside trainer like there's someone there or even if even think a little bit broader sometimes we saw it where two schools within the same community like just a you know a few kilometers apart, one school is doing something really well, and the other school needs that thing, and vice versa, right? Their their different needs can be satisfied by each other, and so just you know thinking about that, that a lot of times I think teachers sometimes will sit there and be like, ah, oh, I don't know the answer, I don't know the answer, and they might go to the internet, they might you know like look into books, but they might it might just be a, a short walk next door to the next classroom or to talk to the the colleague in the next school. And that answer is right there that they're looking for. Yeah, that's huge, man. And, and it's something that we talk about a lot. You know, the, the phrase that comes to my mind whenever I think about that is circles are better than rows. Yeah. And it's a, it's an Andy Stanley quote. Yep. And so it's for a church context, but I think, you know, we apply it a lot to community development and I think it applies a lot to teachers as, as well of, man, if you just get in a circle 
and start to have a common vision of what you want to accomplish and teamwork that exists, you can find a lot of solutions. You can find, you know, your, your way a lot easier than people think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, that's, that's uh, you know, a, a practice that we'll use in my classroom sometimes is I'll ask if they have a group question. Do you have a group question? And like, you know, someone will raise their hand and go over there and like, oh, do you have a group question? And be like, yeah, we have a group question. And like, so I don't ask the person that's got their hand raised. I ask somebody else, hey, what's the question? Because sometimes it's, yeah, we, because I have a question, that means the group has a question versus have we talked to everyone to see mm-hmm. if someone's got the answer versus someone's sitting next to that person saying, no, we never, I know the answer. You just haven't asked. Right. Okay. And it's sometimes it's how do we start those conversations? I think 410 Bridge does a good, good job of starting conversations to see like, what are the gifts? I mean, well, 410 Bridge, 1 Peter 410, use the gifts you've been given to serve others. That's, we've heard that uh, on this podcast a few times, but um, you know, what are the gifts of the community and, and seeing what, where, what, are, where are they? What are the, what exists in our community and how can we use it for the benefit of everyone? So that's good. Hey, so I had, uh, you have another one? So you had one A and one B. Do you got two, uh, two B or two A or? I have, I have about seven of them, but I'll, <laughs> I'll try to, I'll try to pick my other favorite. Um, so I think the other thing that really stood out is, Man, worldview is something that we talk about a lot mm. at 410 Bridge. Um, and loaded. You know, everybody has their own weird interpretation of what that is. But really, you know, it's, it's simply just what, what is the mindset that, that you have, right? What is the story that you believe to be true? And I think, again, it, it's such an incredible learning experience to be able to um, just meet with nine schools in one week because you just see patterns so clearly. And there's, there was really two patterns that emerged. There was either a victim mentality mm. or there was a group of problem solvers. And it often starts with the head teacher and they create the culture of what it's going to be. And a head teacher um, is a principal, but, just, so, just a little translation there. Yep. Keep going. Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it trickles down and it has so much impact on the success of the students. It has so much impact on, you know, how the school performs over time. Um, even just in the way that they view their challenges and the way that they view what they already have within their school, you know, even just as we just talked about, okay, are teachers forming circles? Are they looking for solutions within? If there's a, a, a worldview to where, I'm capable of solving this problem and I'm going to find a way to do it. Well, you're going to ask your teacher next door. You're going to ask the teacher at the school next to you. You're going to ask somebody has got to be able to solve this versus, you know, what we experienced a lot in the, in the schools where they had what I would call a victim mentality is, Hey, we don't have enough textbooks. Our school facilities aren't what they need to be. We need more desks. We need lockers. We need all these different things, right? The list goes on and on. And while, there is legitimate need, right? There's schools who have needs, right? But those types of things, they aren't a, an ultimate barrier that holds kids back from learning. And so it was just this stark contrast that, man, it <laughs> whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. right. And so we, I feel like we just saw that over and over again, and um, it just kind of affirmed. You know, we, we, again, apply that a lot to community development and we work through leaders and try to get them to see that vision. 
but it applies to the school system as well. Yeah. I, that just reminds like the last school that we visited, you know, we'd heard over and over again about the material heaviness and, of the new curriculum and just the need for, you know, funds to do that. And then you look at the final classroom and, and yes, and I believe there's, there's a need, there's a lot of materials that are needed in this curriculum. But then you, that last classroom we were in and this teacher had with found materials, uh, had created a school store, a hospital and a, um, a little like, a um, like a village, uh, like almost, I don't want to say diorama, but that's like in a box that I did as a kid, but it was like a little, uh, village scene with like, that was kind of like a little thing that they could play with, but all for her, uh, first graders. It was just amazing. Like what, what she had created, um, with just, again, found materials and like not accepting, like, yeah, I don't have the, the funds, but just, I, yeah, I still need the funds, but I'm going to do what I can with what I have. And it was just, it was amazing, like how she, again, yeah. went and solved that problem. Yeah. Well, and, over, and, and that goes back to is, is, you know, you talk about the circles uh, are better than rows. And the word that we kept hearing about, you know, from these, some schools that were, I would say, problem solving schools was that, that teamwork word, right. And different ways that, that, that teamwork can be seen. And that was one of my learnings was like teamwork can look differently. Right. And like, you know, and one of them, it was very much from the top, like, and there was a, there was a charge from the top that, Hey, this is what the team will look like. This is what we're going to do, but we are going to solve problems together. And that they did, man, they were trying to figure it out. And, And one of the things that they did was, if students were struggling, they, it was just like an open lunch period where students would go to teacher identified experts in areas. So it might not necessarily be your it could be your student that's struggling with something like um, specific with like a l- reading or something. And it wasn't that was not necessarily your area of expertise. Well, that student would then go to that student's area of expert or that teacher that has that area of expertise for some a, a little bit of assistance. Um to get, get caught up. And that, it reminds me of what we call response, uh, response intervention here in the U S where, Hey, that kid needs a little extra dose of something. And it doesn't necessarily have to come from me, but I'm going to make sure that the, as a team that our kids are getting the doses that they need versus the other school. Like it was more, not necessarily dictated from the top, but it was more collaboration. Uh, it was more, uh, I don't want to say like everyone was on the same level. Even the the head teacher kind of treated him like kind of served the the teachers and say, "Hey, how do we best meet the needs of these kids?" And if it means me going into a classroom, I will. And <laughs> it was kind of funny where it's, it was like, "Hey, the best thing might be for you not to be in this classroom," and he accepted <laughs> it. But it was like more again, more everyone on the same level, like whatever it takes to for us to help these kids. Uh, get what they need out of, out of the classes and out of the learning that they need to have to be successful, we're going to do. And it was just, it was impressive on the two different um, kind of models of teamwork that we saw. Yeah. And the way that I was thinking about it and, and kind of wrote down was, man, I think there was a, in some of those places, there was cultures of high trust and high accountability. Mm-hmm. And in other places, I felt like uh, teachers were almost, defensive and um there was probably a a heavy hand that came down on them Mm -hmm. right and and honestly i think you could again tie it back to the head teacher the principal of if there's insecurity that that guy has and he doesn't really open up and let his teachers do what they do best they're not gonna 
they're going to be too self-conscious to let another teacher help their student out because there's going to be pride involved. There's going to be, no, I, I got to do this. I can't look bad. Uh, But in those schools where the culture was high trust and high accountability, they knew that they had to perform at a certain level, but that they could pull everybody else in to help them out along the way. And again, man, there's just so much of a difference in just in the conversations that we had and the performance of the schools. It's, it's so evident that it, you know, I wish it was so, I wish it, because it's so evident, I wish we could so easily apply it to these other schools because they can make such a difference. Yeah. And then tying it back to the U S I mean, sometimes I see, you know, uh, there's turnover in leadership and sometimes a, a principal thinks they need to, you know, put in uh, so many different policies or anything, kind of put their thumbprint on the new, yeah. on their, their school versus, you know what, if you trust your teachers and let them teach and then provide them the assistance that they need and knowing like we have a common vision for what success looks like, man, this, you, do, you probably don't have to meddle all that much, right? You just need yeah. to, to support and serve those teachers. And that's, you know, you kind of saw that a little bit with some of these schools that were doing things pretty well is like, you know, they let their teachers teach and um, yeah. How about anything else? What else from your list of uh, seven that stood out to you? Um, I think culture was a big one. So we hit on that one. I think another one, just kind of a, kind of a simple one is ideas are, are really easy, but execution is really, really difficult. <laughs> yeah. Of we went to, you know, especially those last communities we were in where they were talking about the same ideas of how to help elevate their students. They were talking about, Hey, we need more contact hours. We're going to ask them to come in early, maybe stay a little bit late for grade seven and eight so that we can have extra hours with them to work on curriculum. Um, They talked about wanting to engage the parents, right? All the ideas are are very, very similar across the schools. Um, But the ability to execute on it is right. That's where the people are separated, where schools are separated. Um, And so, man, you got to be able to be willing to do the work. You got to be willing to put in the, the hours and ask for help and do all those things. Otherwise, you know, an idea is not going to get you there. Right. And that's a, a, maybe it's a a book that we're going to do in the future. I'm just throwing it out there for us. We read, uh, the four disciplines of execution, um, uh, by McChesney, I believe. So anyway, but yeah, that, that was one. So I always think about where to lead, where to lag and, but what are the lead measures, what are the lag measures and what is the thing to focus on to execute really well? Because, yeah, like you said, I mean, we heard, I mean, so many, if we just documented all the ideas from, you know, uh, uh, talent shows to, you know, parent meetings and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, how do we get things done and how do we get, how do we get them done and done well? And you saw, you saw the differences in, in the ones that we're executing were the ones that were seeing some success. And so. Um, but that, I guess that goes back into one other thing is, you know, thinking about success, um, again, like we said before, Kenya's going through a big overhaul in their education system from one that was primarily a, a, a test-based system. So there's a big test at the end of eighth grade, which the KCPE um, test, which kind of dictated where, what possibilities you had for secondary school or for high school, right? And so that, go, moving from that, where yes, it was 
pretty easy to, you know, see where kids might go, but there's a lot of stress on that test. Then if kids didn't do well, um, they could have been even harming themselves or dropping out or not continuing to their education, which they could continue their education. They just might not be doing it in the schools that they want to. Just so much um, negativity around that test, it seemed like that they're making this change to a more competency-based system, so the CBC, competency-based curriculum. And Mm -hmm. so seeing that in this big move in their curriculum, but still the, still this, the KCPE is still out there. So they still have these, we would go into every principal's office and you'd see like the scores up on the wall because it was such a focus in on those scores. And what I noticed is that, you know, the scores is, and I, I made an equation, David scores, or it's not equation. It's an inequation because it's scores do not equal the story. Because I think sometimes we we see scores and, and we would be like, oh, okay, we know something about this school, and you go in with some assumptions. But then in some schools where you you know you assume like, oh, these these the school's really struggling. I saw some of the best teaching, you know, yep. and, and it was just like there's something there's something else going on. There's more to this story than than this one score in this one grade. And I think yep. that's you know, it's there's so it's, much complexity. Oh yeah. So much. And you think like all the the benefit that a school can have and if we reduce it down to a single score, it's like we're not we're not doing it justice, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to to even know what you know, that's why I think the goal of our trip was to try to identify patterns, but you can't reduce it to patterns, right? right? Because, you know, even there's just so many variables of the economy, you know, the of these different communities, right? Some of them are very, very rural. Some of them are a little bit more urban. Um, some of them have an abundance of food. Some of them don't, right? There's just, you know, even in the last community we're in, they, they mentioned it a couple times. I don't know if you, I don't think we talked about it, but they talked about how schools were created in that community in the, in the nineties for the forest people, right? Yeah. And they kept referring back to the forest people and the assumption that I drew off that was it's historically a group of people who have never been educated, right? Mm-hmm. They've just lived in the forest for generations and generations and generations because we're in rural, rural Africa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so to think about, okay, you have this community that's never been educated before and we're going to thrust them into schools and we're what, two decades later, three decades later, uh-huh. um, you know, there, there's a whole world of challenges that, will, that probably exist within that that don't show up in the score. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. And so just to your point of, man, there's so many other things going on that, it, yeah, it's hard to say, OK, it's not a binary. Either you scored this success or failure. Yeah. And I, th- I mean, even just the, the, you know, to give some context, even some of the basic things like I could you and I could go in and, and watch lessons because the academic language is English. Right. Um, and so seeing that, but then in some of those schools, well, that what they speak outside of school is not English. So it's like you're, you're, you're starting in, you know, first grade or whatever they're starting. It could be primary one or primary two, uh, pre-primary one, pre-primary two. And they're starting with English as a language that maybe they've never spoken. Maybe they've just heard it spoken and we're giving all the content in English like what, a, what, a, I mean, just, you just throw that, just, just throw that one out there. Not to mention, you know, like the, 
the structure of not maybe not having parents that have been to school before, right? And so like all this sort of, well, like you kept saying, complexity that gets added mm-hmm. on top of, you know, just trying to teach a good lesson. You know, <laughs> you know yeah. it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. Well, I'm going to, we're going to move on unless you have anything else that was burning on your list. That's good, man. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the next category is now, you know, so what is, so we've got all these learnings. What is something you would have done differently if you knew then what you know now from the trip? So if you had this knowledge all the time, what, what's something you would have done differently a while ago, maybe when you first started at 410? Well, I think I'm, oh, when I started at 410. Or, or whatever. It could be even way before that. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think you, you've done a great job. You must just be masterful at a podcast because it was a tremendous segue. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Of, you know, I think. Thanks for reading from the script, really, David. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, <laughs> um, I think specifically as a relation to the trip, and it probably applies other places as well, but um, I would want to do a more comprehensive data collection. Um, just because, again, to what we were just talking about, a single score isn't everything, right? Um, and I think there's more learnings that we could have had um, if we would have done a deeper dive into the data. And so I think that's looking at not only – I would look at classes over time as opposed to – so traditionally, just for context, um, a lot of success is depending on the eighth grade test, the KCPE, yeah. like mm-hmm. we are talking about. And that is the, how a school is often measured, um, how students are measured. It, it all comes down to that single test. But, again, there's such a bigger story of, okay, they take six major tests a year. So I think one of the things that I would want to do is just collect more data. Um, again, just to recap for folks, there, so much of success is determined based off the eighth grade test, the KCPE. And that is the determinant for the, the school. It's often the determinant for the student. Um, so much of how they're defined in their, whether success or failure is based off that one test. And so one of the things that I would love to look at a little bit more is, you know, a student takes probably, I think it's six tests over the course of the year. Mm-hmm. And so how is it, how is a grade progressing over time? How is a student progressing over time? I think that's really valuable. The other thing, you know, just from a data collection perspective is I wish we could have diversified who we heard from a little bit more. Um, And so I think we got there towards the end of the week to where we would kind of divide and conquer where you and Mambo would go and meet with the teachers and get feedback from them. I would meet with whoever the administration that was there as well as some of the leaders. Um, and I think that's the way to go about it because I think you get unique perspectives. Mm-hmm. A teacher isn't influenced by his head teacher being in the room. Right. Um, and I think I'd also want to, you know, even just kind of broaden that out of if we could have met with some parents, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think that would be really valuable. Even if there was a couple students who are in the older grades who might be aware enough to just reflect on some of their experience. Right, right. I think that would have been really cool to do. Um, and so, Time is obviously back from there. We did a ton in five days, but if we could have diversified that out, I think it would have given a more holistic picture yeah. of 
what was actually going on. You know, one of the things that we did with administration was we got them to rank one through 10, the programs that we do, uh-huh. um, the interventions that Fort Bridge does in the school. And so it's just quickly to give context, it's books and supplies, infrastructure, practice exams, uh, program, desk, secondary sponsorships. We have a dignity for girls program and we do uniforms. And so we got the administration in, in conjunction with the leadership council to rank those as, Hey, what is, which of these have the biggest impact for you in your specific school? And it was a great learning exercise for me sitting on this side to where, you know, I have a lot of assumptions about which one of these have value, but to be able to get their feedback was really, really key. But I would have loved to have done this with the teachers as well, mm-hmm. because I bet their answers would have been very different. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, same thing, if we would have done with the parents, it would have been an even different subset. So right. um, just to be able to spread that out a bit more and be able to learn from different segments, different stakeholders in that process, I think would have been really cool. Yeah. No, that's, and, and I think too, I think you were mentioning this before, before we had the hiccup in the audio as well with looking at the data was comparing, a, and, and you talk a little bit about this, about comparing a class to itself, both within a school year, but then from up through the grades. Cause like you said, like you'd compare an eighth, this year's eighth grade to last year's eighth grade to the year before that eighth grade where, I mean, they could have started off in way different places. Right. And we don't, it's not a. When you see like, you know, maybe a, a class that didn't start off so well is like has gone so far in a limited amount of time versus a, a class that start off really good and they just didn't grow all that much. I mean, there's two different interpretations of those those uh, grades um, that where you'd have questions about, well, what happened with each, you know, versus you don't know because they're being just compared to each other. So and I know we've talked about that, too. Yeah. One thing that that you kind of made me think about with your, um, conversation too, is, um, the one thing that I was thinking about was just how much is learned here. And then, and now we've got this data, you know, I took, I I took a lot of notes. That's just what I do on that trip is, you know, I got 20 pages of notes on this trip with all the different communities and every observation is I wish we would have started do if we would have known from the get go, you know what? Let's just go and learn. Because I remember we had some things where we were looking at research, we were looking at literature, which is great. And I think a lot of the stuff that we've learned has been reinforced by that literature. At the same time, we did learn some different things, but I mean, a lot of it was reinforced. But to to go on, a, if to to know right away, all right, let's just get into the community and learn as much as we can, and then come back and think about, all right, what did we learn? Let's make sense of it. Um, if that, if I knew that from the beginning and we kind of, we kind of saw that too. We were like, man, I wish we knew this. I wish we knew that. And then we had this meeting in Atlanta when Crisald and Broody came up and we just got to learn a lot about the Haiti school system and how things go. And it was just from, you know, two different perspectives. And then to think like how much we learned in Guatemala when it went and dove into all those different schools. And it's just like, I wish we would have known that from the beginning. You got to get to the source as quick as you can. Oh my gosh, yeah. And this, you know, it even plays into another one of the, my takeaways from the the trip was, I think there's there's some psychological principle here, and 
I don't know it well enough to speak to it well, but essentially the mind wants to simplify things and find these patterns that exist. But the reality is that each school is very different mm, and the way yeah. we as an organization engage with them needs to look very different. And I think, you know, especially in the way that we're structured at 410, there's this tension that exists and it's, it's probably somewhat healthy, but it, um, it, it exists nonetheless of in the U S office, we want to simplify and create standards so that then we can scale it. But the reality is it still needs to be flexible enough to be unique to not only each community, but then to each school, to each teacher, to each student. Right. And so as you go down the, the hierarchy, there needs to be a level of uh, specificity, mm-hmm. where, you know, you teach to that kid right. and you do work in community development to that community. And so, you know, I think that was a, a big learn that came out of it for me as well of just, you know, even because we moved straight from that into meetings with we had all of our countries here in the U.S. office. And it, it was, again, this tension of I want to create these standards of, OK, this is how we do things. And they just always push back. Well, it's a little bit different in Kenya. Yeah, yeah. This community. Well, right. And so there has to be that that tension that exists. And I don't know where the healthy balance is, but it's something that we need to be aware of. Well, another Andy Stanley quote, it's a, a tension to manage, not to eliminate. Right. Exactly. It's, it's a health. It's a healthy one. Right. Um, exactly. Good. All right. Next category. Uh, you make the call. What is something you will do differently now? that you know what you know from the trip might be kind of connected to what you already said, but we'll see. Yeah. So I think, um, for me, there were a lot of things that applied to community development overall. Um, and I think there's, there's just consistency in this of really, it comes down to three things. Structure is very important. Culture is very important and leaders are very important. Yeah. So, you know, I see our role as a community development organization to bring structure, to bring a culture and to develop leaders. And I think that applies across a lot of disciplines. Again, I think it applies to education to where some of the things that we learned of, man, the importance of the BOM with, um, I think, board of management right. and the role that they play in the school. Man, that's huge. But some schools don't even have the board of management. Yeah. And like so, a school board, just to translate. Exactly. Yeah. And so – just, okay, how can we help them apply this structure to their school? Because once the structure exists, once the circle exists, there's a certain benefit that will happen as a result. Um, how do we engage parents? How do we create you know, these uh, circles of learning? Right? There, there's structure all throughout um, that I think is highly valuable to the school and highly valuable to the community development process. Um, and then we talked about culture a good bit of – Okay, what's the worldview that exists within this group of people? Mm. Um, Is there high trust? Is there high accountability? I think those three things are incredibly important to the community development process. So how can we as an organization work to instill those in all? So if we apply this structure, then how do we instill this culture into all these groups? Right. Because that'll help them go further faster. Right. right, (laughs) Uh, Yeah. the last thing, develop leaders, right? That, that falls a little bit into culture, but um, how do we help bring leaders along to a place where they're able to um, just lead in an excellent way? And so, you know, I think traditionally we looked at that 
through the leadership council, which is our primary tool in the community. Mm-hmm. But I think the trip was a great reminder for me of we have to work to develop leaders across all these disciplines, education included, of, man, if we can pull some head teachers into that and really just help them, um, you know, be more involved in the community, help raise their level of leadership even a little bit, um, the downstream impact is, is pretty huge. Yeah, we talked about that, like some of the, the leaders that we saw at some of these schools that were really doing it well, that installed that, that instilled that like teamwork sensibility to their to their teachers. Like, man, and, and well, and some of them even said like they one of the schools that he in Dubai uh, he was talking about, he really enjoys the mentoring process and he mentors his teachers. Well, it's not that much of a stretch to think like, well, how about mentoring some other head teachers, right? You know, because you, you're figuring some things out that could be helpful uh, across different schools, right? And that's that's where a lot of the application is too, is we don't necessarily have to solve a lot of those problems, but because we now have a network of communities, it's simply just putting in exchange programs yeah, yeah. where this school can go visit this other school and they can share learnings because, again, they're closer to the ground. They can solve it quicker than we can. And so the role that we play is just simply to facilitate that exchange. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. They were, they were, I mean, that was the one thing that teachers said over and over again. They wanted to see other teachers doing good things. And it's just like, well, Hey, got this network of schools. There's, yeah, it just facilitating, making that happen. Um, for me, and this is something I've already started to do just, you know, it's, it, it takes me a while. It's like, I, I feel like I'm in my forties and I'm still, still in uh, elementary school sometimes that w- where I'm learning these lessons that are right in front of me. It's like working with schools that I, I work with here in Mississippi. And sometimes I come in and, and, and I still have, you know, I, I preach like don't have assumptions, don't have assumptions. And mm-hmm. I'm taking the same posture of learning that I have in, in working with some of these schools internationally where like I have no basis, right? And no basis of understanding. So I'm just trying to soak it all up. And not that I, I, I'm walking in like I know everything, but just even asking the those basic questions in the, some of these schools to see, like, how can I learn a little bit more? What are the strengths? What are the challenges that you're experiencing? Um you know, what are some, what are some things that you, that is, you know, some things that are working out well for your school and just taking that same posture, uh, of just trying to learn as much as possible, uh, in any of my interactions. And not that I, you know, I was acting all, you know, confident about what was going on, but just trying to be more mindful and putting that out out front. So. Yeah, that's huge, man. If, to be able to approach a situation as a pure learner, mm-hmm. I feel like just completely changes the dynamic of the interaction. Um, and that's one of the things that you honestly, you challenge me on that, Joel, of we'll go into a place and you're like, David, slow down a bit. <laughs> we, got, we want this to be a, a, a peer to peer. We want this to, we want to learn from them. We want them to learn from us. And um, I think it, it's hard to do because just, over time, as you get more experience, again, your mind goes to patterns and you say, yeah. okay, I've done this, I've experienced it. But to continually, you know, you almost have to humble yourself, right? Oh, yeah. To just say, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to do First Peter 4.10. I'm going to try to learn from the gift that they have and because they have a gift that I don't have. And so how can I really just learn from them? So, yeah, it's a fun process. Yeah. All right, David, this is the fun one. Sum it up for a seven-year-old. 
Mm. So that's hard. I think what I would say is to me, it, it comes back to worldview. And what I would say is, I think it's a Henry Ford quote. Somebody will, will fact check that and, and let us know. But <laughs> um, whether you th- think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. Because I think that that just drives so much of the outcomes, no matter what outcome you're driving for. Whatever your mentality is, you know, will indicate it, a good bit of whether or not you can be successful in doing it. Mm. Nice. I like that. Um, I was just going to say strength. There's strength in relationships. Mm. I think what's beautiful about what 410 has done, um, you know, you just facilitating communities getting together or facilitating, you know, these schools connecting with each other, you know, or facilitating, uh, through the structures in some of these countries getting together and then across countries, it's like, there's just this strength in relationship. And we're all thinking about how can we not only develop a better communities, better countries, better world. And it's, and they're, and it's, it's not and the, the, what I love about 410 bridge is not saying it's, it's 410 that's doing it. It's the communities. It's the people doing it. And you're just facilitating. And it's just, it's wonderful. And it's just, I see that strength in relationships. And like, you know, when I, I summed it up for a seven, it's because I have a seven-year-old. And I want my son to understand that, you know, our relationship, we, we want to put relationships first. And I think we see that with what you're doing with 410 Bridge is what, what we're doing uh, uh, in schools and, and just... Love, I love just uh, that idea of strength in relationships. I think Jack could understand that. Yeah. You know, one of the things, um, so Kurt Candler is the founder and uh, the current director of Fortin Bridge, and he has a ton of phrases that he says. Mm-hmm. One of them is, um, do we believe the people that we're serving are a problem to be solved or are the solution to the problem? Mm. And that really, you know, it, it Comes That's a good one. <laughs> when you're in a relationship, are they are we trying to solve a problem they have, or are their relationships enough to be able to find the solution and and, and make it happen? And so, it, again, it's another one of those things where I feel like I always have to check my mindset going into it. Of okay, which which do I believe to be true? Am I coming here to to solve a problem, or do I believe that they are the solution to the problem, and I'm just going to help them bring it out, or right. I'm going to learn from them, or you know, what role do I really play in that? But, um, it, it's a constant battle to make sure I'm in the right frame of mind before I engage in something. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. All right, David, thank you so much for, uh, being willing to come on and, and share. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Big thank you to David for joining me on the podcast and a huge thanks to the 410 Bridge. I'm just so humbled at the opportunity to go on this trip and being able to share my learnings not only with them, but also with you. So thank you. And yeah, I could keep going on about my thanks for the 410 Bridge, but I think I'll stop. That's about all we got for this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 17. There you can find links to the 410 Bridge so you can learn more about the great work that they're doing. You can also seek to donate or sponsor through those links as well. So 
Uh, you can donate directly to their work. That's a, that's an easy one. Or you can also seek to sponsor a child, as you heard from our conversation or my conversation with David. Like some of these kids are scoring really well on these KCPE tests, these eighth grade tests in um, in in their primary school, and well, then they have a chance to go to secondary school. Well, that takes some funds, and so. If you're seeking to support a kid going to secondary school, there are ways to do that at the website as well. Also, if you want to support this podcast, you can do some of the things you already know about doing. You can subscribe, rate, and review wherever you find good quality podcasts. You can also join the Amazon Planet email list. We're looking to build that email list. There's some good things that are going to be happening. One good thing that happens is every now and then I send out a little Starbucks uh, barcode so you can get some free coffee. So if you want to get, take advantage of that, join that email list. You can find a link to do that at our Facebook page, the Amazon Planet Facebook page, or you can also find a link to it at AmazonPlanet.com. Another way you can support is by finding some links through some of our podcast show note page to Amazon. There's some links to the books or whatnot. If you just follow, click through through those links, you, you can get the book or you could just, you know, just do some of your shopping after you do that uh, click through. And some of those proceeds will come and support the production costs of the podcast. You can find me on the internet at uh, Amazon Planet on Facebook. We already mentioned that one. Instagram and LinkedIn. One thing on Instagram you'll find just related to the content for this episode is a little story. It's called Ride to School that kind of shows some of the adventures we had going to our first school uh, in Kenya. And so it was kind of interesting. We saw some zebras. We saw uh, had a uh, little traffic jam with some cattle. But uh, it's kind of interesting if you want to go check that out. Finally, big thank you to, again, David, but also thanks to Matt Mifflin for sharing some of his music in this episode. Uh, and one other thing, if you do want a reminder, if you do want to support the podcast through the Amazon Planet store, links are at AmazonPlanet.com. We just big thanks to those people that are out there being the good. And speaking of being the good, thank you to all you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. 